been more about the product. Now it's more about the process, and the product is um, is the is the outcome from that because it's a redesign. So we have to explain it, and people when they hear it go, "Wow, that's pretty interesting. That's that's a different way of doing it." But tell me more about it, and we and it opens up a much bigger conversation about how it's done and and what we can do. We're here this morning with Richard Lees and Nick Paulin, and we're listening to the Quorum Sense podcast, where we explore how farmers all over the world are creating more resilient, regenerative, and enjoyable farming systems. I'm your host, John O'Fru. Guys, I want to hear from you a quick introduction before we rip into some juicy stuff. Let's start with you, Nick. Thanks, John Um, Privileged to be here. Um, yeah, Nick Paulin, I'm the National Viticulturalist for Aotearoa New Zealand Fine Wine Estates, which is a bit of a mouthful, but um, yeah, based in Central Otago, and our company has vineyards across uh, North Canterbury and Hawke's Bay. So uh, yeah, been involved in viticulture, crikey, 18 years now, and um, yeah, family, family history of horticulture in Central Otago. So yeah, it's kind of home for me. Thanks, Nick, and over to you, Richard, all the way from Australia. Yeah, morning guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so uh, I'm a wine grower from McLaren Vale, uh, which is about 40, uh, 45 minutes south of Adelaide. Um, we've got family, family vineyards and run a vineyard contracting company as well um, for a number of clients. And then we've got a wine brand um, that my brother and I developed called Hither and Yon, um, which has got a really sort of different bent on it in terms of it's a lot of uh, alternate varieties and and things that are sort of future forward looking if that makes sense so um yeah that's that's a snapshot what is there to be excited about in viticulture at the moment well i mean i'll, I'll give it a crack john it's it's hard to get um you know really upbeat about things in australia at the moment things are pretty grim um so but it, for me um, in what way richard let's in what oh, way? just the the industry is in a really um, oversupplied situation at the moment, like a you know heavily oversupplied. Not oh, this is going to be a little bit of a problem. We've got a you know major problem coming up. So so it's in in that context. There's a fair bit of restructure that's going to go on now. You know that's going to be hard work for some people, and and we're not immune to that. But it also creates opportunity and excitement because we can work on these other varieties a little bit more and have a look at things that actually perhaps might suit the industry better going forward. Now, if we were all chugging along really well, we wouldn't be looking in that window. So again, um, for me, I, I'm always looking at opportunity rather than disaster um, because I think it's a just it's a growth mentality that just keeps you moving forward um, and not getting too stuck in the you know doom loop at the back end. So I, I get out of bed because I've got a really diverse um, vineyard system. I've got a really um, energetic, um, connected crew. And to be honest, I think we've got a, uh, in the right places, we've got an energetic and connected customer base that like to hear that farmers are pushing the envelope and trying something new. So, um, you know, we, it, sometimes it's a danger of talking to yourself a bit too much, but I think out there, there's a, there's a bit of excitement around moving the needle on what, um, what agriculture looks like, if we use that general term, you know, because we're all specialists in our own fields. And what we're trying to do is, you know, just unjumble that a little bit and see how much um, other diversity we can get into our systems. I guess in our situation, our, our company's positioned, as it's in the name, at the fine wine end of the game. And um, I guess the exciting, our company's only existed for five years. And the exciting thing that drew me to it was, this desire to play in the fine wine space on a world stage. So 
one of our company goals, uh, values is to take the show New Zealand's fine wine offerings to the world. So in Pinot and Chardonnay. So two varieties that are, I guess, world famous in Burgundy in France. And we think we've got the sites to, uh, and the skills within the company to, to challenge those um, places in the world of fine wine. And I think in that space, there's, there's some extraordinary prices being paid for those high-end French wines. And I guess we've seen, a, a, the owners of the company have seen a market there to say, hey, well, if this, this is coming, these wines are being out of reach of, the, of some people, there's, there's still a market below that tier that um, people want to drink uh, truly great wine. So that's the exciting thing for this, I guess, for this business and the brands that we have. Um, but also within that space, um, a regenerative mindset where <clears throat> we've got properties that have got spare land and we've got the chance to, you know, re regenerate the, the surroundings of the vineyard and not just play. We're not just a, you know, a 10 hectare square of, of, of vineyard on the flat where we've got some very unique sites and um, it's a really exciting process to be a part of. We're, we're very early on in the journey, but, you know, the little things that we've done so far um, in terms of diversity within the vineyards, um, the results are pretty exciting. So that's sort of the the drive for me is is not we're not just producing a commodity in our business. We're 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 going for the best of the best, and there's a there's support from from above, I suppose, from within the company to to let us to try and achieve that. So, um, but in saying that, I think there's. You know, it's not just throwing money in a hole. It's actually the mindset change, and the little things that we've changed. You know, they don't cost a lot. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a journey, and it's an exciting to be part of. So, gentlemen, we've heard this word diversity a bit already in the conversation, and we'll soon dive into what that looks like and what that means. But are you hearing any signals in the market for demands for? let's say biodiversity, you know, diversity within a, a company's production system, what it produces. Are we seeing any demand? Because we know there's there's benefits for you guys in business and on on farm. Um, are we are we hearing any any signals in the market where there's possibly a premium on the way for farms and vineyards that are uh, increasing its diversity in many aspects? John, I think the, the short answer is maybe. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's part of a much bigger package and, um, than just that diversity speed. And I know sustainability gets chucked around, but it, it, it's the vehicle that we need to talk to because that's what the market understands at the moment. So it's, it's, it's coupled in with that, in that large bucket uh, of how do you farm? Can you explain it to me? And what's your impact on your um, natural capital that you use to get that product out. So it's a very large discussion of which, you know, biodiversity is part of um, because it's describing, it's descriptive of your farming system. Um, I think in the next, in the, in the short term, the next short term, there will be interest um, from markets and customers, whether they be big or whether they be individuals around that sort of concept. Um, I think it's clearly the next 
um, step forward for agriculture in general. And I don't, it won't be, it's not consigned to wine. It's, it's consigned across the whole um, primary production um, interface. So people that can really concisely tell their story um, about how they use all the natural capital they've got um, will find niches and opportunity. Now, whether that translates into, you know, a premium um, right at the moment in Australia, um, we'd just like to sell something that'd be good. So um, I think it'll open doors and then we can have a discussion about the consumer, especially one, the consumer about the, the cost of this sometimes is going to be a little bit more to do that in a, in a um, softer way. So maybe there's a, there's a, there's an ad through. And I think if you can take people on that journey, then we might find that they are happy to pay a little bit more for this stuff. Yeah, I agree with what Richard said. Like, it's I don't know this as such. There's a premium for these practices, but um, or including diversity in your business as a you know as a whole is a really good is a really good concept. And we know, I guess. Um, I thought I listened to um, your last podcast, Jono, with Jeff Ross on the drive up the other day, and. I th- he, a point resonated with me was his talk of diversity within businesses and within the industry. So having, if, if all the vineyards were the same, it would be boring. So if, if, if we've got diversity of enterprise, um, like what we're doing in our high density vineyards is kind of nuts for most people, but it's a story that we can tell. And I think that's the biggest part, as Richard said, is being able to tell your story to the consumer. And I think that's one thing we've 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 got reasonably well right within the wine industry is bringing people to our places and showing them what we do. And I think for us in our company, we're we're you know we're aiming our philosophy is to be totally transparent. So to to bring people here and to show them that you know, the back rooms and in all the places on our properties where um, what we're doing is is uh, is totally transparent. I don't think this movement's coming from a, a marketing or a sales angle. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a benefit. I think that'll be an, um, a benefit from it. Yeah. But it's that genuineness about people being able to really say, this is what we do. And we understand that we're a farming and a production enterprise in a landscape. So there's going to be compromise, but we're not prepared to compromise on all of these things. So we're going to make that better. Um, And where we know we have to use some capital, some natural capital that we're going to try and repair that as best we can. You know, so it's a really, it's a much deeper dive into how people farm than probably what we've ever done before. You know, it's more, it's been more about the product. Now it's more about the process and the product is um, is the is the outcome from that. Um, perhaps if maybe I haven't explained it that well, but I think that's sort of where this farming system plays that game because it's a redesign. So we have to explain it, and people, when they hear it, go, "Wow, that's pretty interesting. That's that's a different way of doing it." But tell me more about it, and we and it opens up a much bigger conversation about how it's done and and what we can do. What was I going to say? Oh, out, so outcomes. I think that was the one thing Richard just mentioned, the outcomes of this process. And it's one thing we're, we're starting to look at more is measuring outcomes, like what, like the practices that we do, what's the outcome? And, and 
is that a positive outcome? So, you know, planting cover crops, that's great, but um, what's the outcome of planting the cover crop? Is it just so it looks good for Instagram or is there soil improving? So I think that's one thing we're sort of dip their toe in it a wee bit, but I think moving forward, it's something we really want to um, enhance and, and tell our story more about, you know, here's our annual scorecard for the soil and this is what we've done in the last year. And, and, and give that to our consumers, give that to our distributors and say, you know, when you're talking to customers, you know, these guys are doing, they're positive, they're doing, you know, they may be spraying copper because that's, you know, like, unfortunately we're at this in, in some parts, we have to, you know, have an economic crop, but if we can show over time that we're reducing it, then that's a positive outcome. So I, th I think, yeah, there's a, I guess it's that balance thing. It's, it's between telling a story and being productive and, and positive. Paints a big picture of responsibility. Like you guys have got a lot on your plate. Tell me, what's it been like going from what I would consider to be a reasonably prescriptive recipe-based process to something where you've just all of a sudden got, and I can really hear you do have, all of these balls in the air that you've got to juggle from, you know, marketing angle, storytelling, you know, most people consider soil just to be soil. You guys are going much deeper than that. Um, how's it been uh, sort of the mindset shift you mentioned it earlier both of you it creeps up on you slowly john well it has for me you know it's a it's a it's a learning experience from a long way back i mean i was talking about this with someone else yesterday that i can't pinpoint you know the exact moment where i went right that's it i'm going to tip all the toys out of the cot and and start again um you know i think i was throwing them out one by one for a while before i realized that i'd that didn't have any left and went right okay well I'm obviously doing something different now so I think it's it, it's it was a gradual thing for me but it has it I think you reach us um I've reached a, an, an area of comfort and obviously knowledge for for one of a better word that I've supercharged it in the last five years you know where I go right okay I think I've got a handle on this let's turn the dial up as far as we can get it and as do it as quickly as we can because I'm impatient and and I'm getting old, you know. I don't have I don't have time to muck around. These twenty year old, you know, bucks can um, can can go for it. But I, I need to I need to ramp this up and get some stuff done and achieved. So so let's go hard. So that's what we're doing at the moment. And we're going to miss a few things along the way, um, and that's okay. Um, but I think we've got a system now that's functioning pretty well. So we're in the uh, I feel like we're in the tinkering and the fine tuning end, um, and just seeing what we, what directions we can pull it in depending on what levers we pull. So we've done the hard yards, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's a really cathartic moment where you know you can, you've shifted out in your own head into totally the other realm and you're comfortable with it and you just go. Just, that's where I feel like I'm at now. I'll just push the pedal to the floor and we're, we're on, we're on, the, we're on the road. Yeah, yeah I think I, for me, it's been, I, I guess, my sort of um, awakening to it. Like Richard, it's been sort of a slow burn. Um, when I left uni, so going through uni, um, you know, Lincoln's great, but it's very, as you say, Jono, very prescriptive and there's, there's one way to farm. And there was about half an hour on organics and biodynamics. Um, I was lucky enough when I left uni, I got a job at 
uh, Felton Road in Central Otago, which is a biodynamic producer now. And it was just on their journey into biodynamics. So I kind of got taken on that journey with them and saw, and I think for me, seeing it first, like seeing it happen, seeing that transformation um, from a very conventional vineyard to to buy to organics and biodynamics. Um, the I guess the light bulb moment is seeing things in the flesh. And that's, you know, biodynamics has been one of those things where it's really hard to explain to some people or some for, for some people to understand. Um, there's a religious aspect to it, but there's also a practical aspect to it where you do it and you see it and you don't necessarily know the full, you know, the full reason. You just, you know, a couple of people that have influenced me have just said, just do it. And Richard said it yesterday, just throw the seed in the ground, like don't leave it in a bag. Um, do it, <laughs> do it and see the results. And then then you can move forward. And it's it's a I mean it's a yearly process and it's a slow process, but I think as Richard said, if you if you have the confidence to kind of just let rip, um, it'll make a change and you'll see that seeing is believing, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Um, that d doing it and seeing it is the kind of moment where it's like, oh, okay, that that worked or that didn't. And then you start to think about it. So yeah, and it, it's, it is, there's a lot of thinking involved. Um, track, to, track to time is my thinking space. So, um, <laughs> you know, going around and around and around. Um, it's uh yeah it's a good moment to think and look and see and it's probably an aspect of the role that I enjoy I'm lucky enough to have a small to work in a small company where I get to be across everything um you know trundling through on the sprayer um dare I say it, it's still part of our job but you know traveling every row of the vineyard you get a really good handle on on what's going on and seeing what's going on so yeah it's 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 that observation in, and I think tuning into that, um, those observational skills has been really, uh, really beneficial. You know, the, the thing about the prescriptive thing, Jono, is that um, they're dialed into perfection. You know, the, the, the reason they're prescriptive is that we want it to look a certain way. You know, it has to, and we, we're chasing this perfection, and which is a little bit of a wine thing anyway, because we, you know, as Nick said before, we're trying to make a very, very high-end product. You know, it's not a commodity, um, but um, because, we, because we're in this perfection mindset, then we haven't got a room for chaos. You know, we need to have it looking a certain way and be a certain way and have no room for error and all that. It's, it's a living, moving system. Like I just, that is so constraining for me now where I just go, I just can't do that. You know, I just need it to, I need to let it flow and we need to find out what it, what it can and can't do. And I'm clearly unemployable have to run my own business because I don't like rules um, and I just chuck stuff out and go look why are we worried about being wrong you know people go oh what, what if it's wrong well what if it's wrong then I know that that's not the right direction I go on the next one you know but if I don't do anything then I'm just sitting here spinning my wheels and we never learn anything and what how freaking boring is that you know, it'll drive me insane. So that's where I get to now where I've just got to go, right, what? And it's not because I'm continually chasing what's next, but this is such a big, it's a four-dimensional 
system we're trying to deal with now. You know, we've we've had the physical and the chemical part of it for a long time. We've got the social and the human elements in there as well. Now we're discovering the for me, we're discovering the biological, you know, realm for you know re relearning it for the first time. It's like far out. We've got a fair bit going on here. We got to we're going to have to let it flow in a number of different ways, and and we can't just have it written down on a bit of paper. We're just going to have to have a have a bit of a go and. And be very clear on where we want to get to. I mean, we need you need a destination. Um, you know, so my destination, like Nick, I, you know, I'm happy to say it. I don't want to, I would love a vineyard I don't have to do anything to, you know, and I don't see why that, why we shouldn't put that out there as a goal. You know, if we can get a system working so that it's got, it's got everything going for it and we don't have to intervene too much, well, geez, wouldn't that be good? You know, so why not, why not throw it out there and go, here's a challenge and, and let's work towards it. And we see where we get, but if we don't, if we don't, we don't put the marker out there a bit, right out in the on the horizon, then we don't reach for it. We don't we don't go anywhere. Yeah, chaos is is something that I've not seen a lot of, and you know my my historic view of what viticulture is, and um and to hear you guys embracing it is um is heartwarming. And and we we've, we've talked a bit about I've heard you guys each say that a lot of what you're doing, especially when you start diving into this complex nature of ecosystem, is that it's not all always easily quantifiable. Is there is there any cases where you've been like, okay, that worked, what did I do? Cover crop thing is probably my, my kind of light bulb moment was, um, uh, well, actually, sorry, like not just cover crops, but like crimping, I suppose, was my light bulb moment. Um, so I guess since, you know, for the last 18 years, I've been playing with cover crops and started off with like one or two species and then, you know, a couple of species here and there, and then starting this, the role within this company, um, I've got some freedom because my, I work in central Otago and our head office is in Hawke's Bay. So no one sees what I do on a <laughs> basis. Um, which it, it, it's great. Like there's a, there's a trust there and, and we all get along fine, but you know, so I sort of had some freedom. I thought, right, you know, as long as the I come within budget, no one's going to question how many things I put in this cover crop. So let's have a crack at it. And then circumstantially, we ordered a new mower and then the guy couldn't, it didn't get delivered for a season. So we had a year where we had, a, we had no way of mowing the vineyard. So all we did was just rolled it with a, with a crumbler roller, just like not even a proper crimper. And then at the end of it, I we dug in some new vines and I thought, hang on, this is like, this is, you know, there's something different here. Like it's so easy to put the spade in. And then, and I, so I can't claim any, this is none of my original thinking, but so then I, we had a girl working in the vineyard from Quebec, who's, who was a consultant back in Quebec and for the government agricultural service. And she, she told us about this trial with undies called so she convinced us or she convinced me to to put these pairs of undies in the ground and so we did a little trial and compared the cover crop row with the grass row and it was chalk and cheese like it was like there was just the elastic left um in the in the crimped cover crop row and in the the normal the normal you know sward that we mow uh the, they were basically intact so um, that was kind of, for me was like, wow, like that's really powerful. And it's a story 
uh, it's been told quite a bit and it's been repeated marketing everyone we've had people on the vineyard and and pulled out these pairs of undies much to most people's shock but it's a you know it's a really it was a really powerful visual tool to say this is this is a 12 species cover crop that's just been crimped for the season and this is the normal the normal practice of mowing and here's the difference in diversity in the soil so um yeah that was that was kind of one of those moments where it was like aha you know like we're on to something and but i have to admit since then we've really struggled to actually like this season especially we've struggled to get cover crops to grow well so you know there's still a learning process and and some things to try but it's you know it's sort of reassuring that we're on the right path and richard have you been we're talking sort of cover crops now and i'd like to explore this what does it look like you mentioned before about planting seeds tell me some of your experience with um the inter you know between the rows what what do we do with that and um, what are some easy wins for people with this often unused you know piece of a vineyard yeah well i mean obviously the the um you know the cover crop mixes are getting much more diverse than what they were i mean when i when i started viticulture um, back in the 1800s, um, there was um, you know you got you got a ryegrass and you might have got a clover if you were lucky and you know chuck it in the way you go it's green that'll be fine that'll whatever it's supposed to do it wasn't we didn't have a it wasn't a what if what's this doing it's just we needed something in the middle of the row so or or whatever naturally came up and that's okay as well probably they were probably much more diverse than we gave them credit for those grasses but there's obviously now you know this extreme sport of cover cropping which is fine it's interest people are interested in plants so again it, the, you need to go to the first question is what am i trying to achieve with this cover crop you know what is it do i want it to look nice um, do i want it to look like it's always looked big tall cereal and things do i want a crimp roller um, do I have a compaction issue I want to deal with? What sort of plants? So you need to ask that question and be really um, clear first. You know, do I want it to just be, is this an annual thing that I'm just going to do every now and again? Or do I want to have a permanent um, sward established here with some varieties that I'll know? So, because if you're going to do that, then then um, by all means, do a cultivation pass and get it in so it's established and strong and it's what you want. Um, you know, my per preference is not to do that now, is to just add into what I've got. So we just direct drill over the top, understanding that and, and really clearly understanding in our own head that not everything's going to come up and it's going to be a bit random and it'll look a bit odd, but we're just filling gaps in. So my, my reason for the cover crop is to get 100% cover on the vineyard floor. So I just want a plant on every square millimetre of that ground and it doesn't matter if it's in nice rows or you know a plant every you know this is this this is the setting it just can be chaos but as long as it's covered uh, and then from that i think the really interesting when you get into this system these farming systems you become much more observant so we're you know and you ask different questions when you're out in your block so we would we were discussing this yesterday where i planted the same mix across two different soil types in my vineyard and half you know they were almost half and half in terms of difference so that you know at one place all of these plants come out and in the other soil type none of them come out but all the other ones came up so so the the obvious thing for me is to go that's not a failure what's that telling us what what are these plants telling us 
you know, what is it about these soil types that like, one will grow there and one will grow there? What, what's the mechanism? So we start asking different questions about our observations rather than saying, oh, that's no bloody good. We won't plant that because it didn't come up in that block. So we, we might not do that again, but, but because we've, done, we've asked the question, we'll understand why a little bit better about why it doesn't happen. So um, be really clear with your end goal um, with cover crops, I think. And then that, that then designs your system and how you go about putting it in and what you put in and when you do it. Um, but people don't often ask that first question, what is it I'm trying to achieve with this cover crop? And is there a case, Richard, of, of time as well? Like you mentioned, you did two areas, same mix, completely different results on each um, trial area. Was it a case of what you saw germinate first was all that germinated? Or do you notice that over time you see other things appear as those environments change? Yeah, excellent, John. Yes, the short answer is the the latter. You know, so over time we'll see change where we didn't get plants growing in those areas two years ago, but now they do. So they obviously we've changed structure of soil and there or the chemistry or the biology is there to support the plant life. So there's a there's a whole heap of things going on that we'd love to be able to quantify you know directly but we'll just make some assumptions because you know that's all we can do it's a massive system with so many levers but yes over time that definitely changes and to the point where we've now got i mean i think we were back to that question you asked nick before about what was the aha moment when we started walking out in vineyards when we you know stopped stopped doing things which is generally the first you know port of call on this journey you know was stop doing the stuff that we know is perhaps not that great for the environment and within 18 months, you know, there were plants coming up everywhere that we were going, Wait, where's all this medic coming from? You know, we haven't seeded any of this. Like it's, and it's now a carpet or it's all under the vine and right where we want it. And then the ryegrass that's under here is actually really useful as well. What, where's all this stuff been? Well, we've been just smashing it down over the years with our practices that we haven't given it an opportunity to come up or we haven't provided the food source for the biology to make it. So it's one of the, it, it's those moments where you realize that you're actually you can actually let this go a little bit and just let it reset itself and we'll see what we need to change. And by and large, most of those plants have been ones that we find that are really useful to work with. And all the ones that we don't like generally come up from come up in areas where we're doing all the work to get rid of everything. You know, we, we, we're creating the problem for ourselves. So that's, that's where you start to step back and go, well, hang on, or maybe I'll just get to get out of the way here for a minute and just see, see what this system is going to tell me. Mm. And in the row, it's it's an area of, you know, um, a lot of concern for a lot of people, you know, most for the most part, and both of you guys have mentioned so far, like image and what we think looks good. And I think for the most part, there's been probably an inherited view of that must be completely bare or, you know, clean or, um, you know, nothing there. Um, and then, of course, the other thing is the interrow must be like a bowling green, you know, that's what we call pristine or, you know, whatever you is the image of, of looking good. You're painting this picture now of rolling things down, Nick and Richard, you know, growing all these different plant species is going quite a different direction. Is there anything, if we step out of the between the row and go into the row, what are some things that, that people are doing that you guys are seeing or maybe that you have done in there that the outputs or the outcomes might be greater? 
Yeah, I think I think it's having a I guess having a critical like a critical thought process as to do I need to do this pass. Um, I guess one thing I quite big on is like multitasking when I'm doing something in the vineyard. So um, it was part of my pitch to get a nice tractor <laughs> when we started out was to have the capacity to do more than one thing at a time. So most tractors have got the ability to have something in the middle, uh, whether it be undervine mower, undervine weeder, something like that. You can drag something behind you and you can also mount something on the front. So I saw it in Germany. There was a guy who was doing four things. He was trimming, undervine cultivating, mowing and leaf plucking. And the leaf plucker was mounted on the mower on the back. And I said, how did, you know, like, the vineyards, it's German precision, like the vineyards are, you know, straight, great, easy. And he said, the more things you do, the louder the stereo is. So just drive. <laughs> but, um, I th- you know, I think it's having that thought process to say, hey, look, I'm going through the vineyard, I'm spraying. Uh, we, previous role, we developed a front, we put a front tank on. And I, again, not an original idea, saw it in a mate, from a mate in Germany who was spraying like biologicals on the ground as he was canopy spraying. So having that kind of like pushing the limit and saying, well, you know, sure you can drive a tractor and you can do one thing, but the the tractor is capable of more than one thing. It's just, it's our, it's our skills or it's our mindset that's limiting us. So why not try something new or why not try something different? And, Obviously, some plate like some setups are not, you know, it's not possible. It's physically too steep or it's too tight or whatever. We can't like in our high density stuff, we really struggle because we don't have a real tractor as we do it with these little crawler things. But you know, I think for it's that thought process of being critical and and saying well, why why am I doing this and do I need to do this? Um, and I think you know, like in in understanding your own site as well. So we've got a site here in North Canterbury that we undermine mow because it's way too vigorous. Um, and most people said, you know, can't do it. You'll do bigger the vines. Um, you'll lose yield. But for us, in our situation, we're trimming four times. And, you know, why, why trim four times when we can mow once? And we've sown a sort of low-grow clovery mix through the block and it's and it's working perfectly so like you know in two years i can't you know it's not the uh it's not a it's not a foregone it's not a conclusion that it's the right thing to do but for the last two seasons it's been the right thing to do so i think just yeah having that critical mindset as to why we're doing things not because we've always done it that way but because we think it's the right thing to do or you know, because the neighbor does it doesn't mean that you should do it as well. Like it's, it's been confident enough to know your property and to know your land and the outcome that you want to have at the end of it to say, I'm going to do this because I think it's right. I'm with you, Nick, on tractor stuff. I mean, I think we've been poor at it over, um, over the years because energy has been cheap. So no one cares. Now people care. Yeah. It's like, all right, hang on. <laughs> Why? So I think it really does, though, start with that first question um, because we're very, we're rhythmical beasts. 
farmers. You know, we've we're, we've got seasonal rhythms, and with those rhythms become come normal, you know, yearly rhythms where we just do stuff without really questioning it because that's the time of the year to be doing this stuff. You know, we want to be doing stuff. You know, um, you know, I've got to be doing. I've got to physically manage this thing i can't it can't possibly do it without my intervention and i think we need to ask that we're asking the question that, that what you just said why are we doing this particular operation what's the what what's it doing for us or for the system that requires us to go in there and do that and you know it's i think the ground cover management thing is where we've done we've made the most change where we've where we get back to what you're saying before john i want 100 percent ground cover for as long as for for the biggest part of the year that I can, I mean, it's going to hay off in in my area in Australia. We run out of water, and and it's going to, but it still it's still a layer on the skin. But I want to you know I want to have a heap of photos photosynthetic capacity on that soil when I can, so it powers up the system because this whole thing's driven by carbon, uh, carbon cycling. Um, you know, if we get away from the storage bit, carbon is the is the bit that drives all of the productivity in soils. So we need to pump as much of that in there as we can. We can't do that without plants. So we need plants everywhere. So how do we design a system that's got plants everywhere for maximum amount of the year? So that's that has then led us to going, rather than do we need to do this mowing pass or do we need to let that flower out? So it's got some beneficials, uh, flowers for beneficials and it creates habitat and all those things. Yeah, we can leave it. Okay, it looks a bit, messy but we can drive on that that's fine no worries so what we've done is scale all those things back to the point is what if we don't do anything in here for a season and try it so we did a block it's going to be block or regional specific but at least you start a trial somewhere so we only did five hectares where we just left it and let it sort itself out and yeah there was a period where it looked a bit unkept um, but then it naturally hayed off and it all laid down we had a nice little you know it all almost looked like we'd run Nick's crimper roller through it and we didn't have to do anything I was like okay maybe we don't have to do everything you know there's there's intervention in some places and then there's there's just stuff you do because you're bored so let's stop doing the board you know go and find something else to do that's so that's where we're up to um so I question all my guys now when they're out on the tractor for those two things do we need to be doing this is this the best way so they start getting their head in that thinking as well and also, what else do you reckon you can be doing while you're driving around on a tractor? Because it's expensive now. I need to make sure we're doing two things with every operation and just get them into that zone so that they're just not in there thinking that this is going to be how we do it for the next 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. I think the hardest thing is to do nothing. It's one of the, one of the, like, we, there was, you know, the Oki's mealy bug in vineyards is, is one thing where, you know, uh over the years the organic guys have been questioned because we don't spray insecticides to control mealybug it's like what do you do oh we do nothing and and people just look at you like you're stupid you're like what you do nothing like, yeah it just it sorts itself out you know the mealybugs are there and they live happily in the clover like um and it's i guess it's part of that is looking at it as a systems approach rather than an individual problem but you know, it, it just proves the point. Like if you don't kill off everything else, the mealy bugs are, are not going to be a problem. So yeah, it's it's a it's the mindset thing and it and it's just being have yeah, being confident to make those calls and to try things, I think is is really important. Yeah. Well 
we love being in control or the mm. feel sorry the illusion of control not being you know. so and we we delude ourselves by doing stuff so that makes us feel like we've got it all under control um you let you know letting that go and going okay maybe I'm not the maybe I'm not the most important part of this puzzle right at this time in this piece. I can actually stand back and let nature do its thing. And yeah, I want to mold it. it. Clearly, we've got a product, so it's not a rewilding exercise where we just let it all go totally chaos because we've got to have a product at the other end of the day that's that's profitable because we need to be able to do it next year. Um, but um, with that means that we can actually let some of this stuff but we've got to observe so back away back to your sort of you know that circular thing back to the prescriptive um zone is that it takes observation out of it because it's prescriptive so you can we, we can just set the calendar and go and do it because we know that this will basically fix all the problems that we think are the problems um and not address the ones that are the long-term ones so so these systems make you get out into your vineyard and look and walk it and um, understand what's going on because you're going to have stuff that's going to come up and bite you on the backside um, for a while until you get them into balance. Now we're creating at the moment with all this with all this ground cover, we're creating a snail habitat. It's like it's like the Ritz Carlton. It's fantastic, you know. So it's like okay, how am I going to deal with this down the track? Because it's something that's a bit of an issue. And we'll, so it's a, what, how do we do it? So we just find a way. We'll find something along the way. There'll be a biological control that we'll come up with eventually, I think, and, and we'll do it. Otherwise, we, we just target the hotspots and get rid of them. So you just, you move on to a way of sorting the problem out. But, it, and, you know, I wouldn't then go, well, it's not worth having all this grass because I've now got snails. It's like, okay, I, the, the, that, that's a consequence. Fine. I can live with that. I'll do it. I'll deal with it because the, because the greater good is better than that problem um, to get rid of them. So um, just keep moving forward, but you're dead right, Nick. The doing nothing is really difficult sometimes. And I'm really hearing that although you're doing nothing, it's not that nothing's happening. Yeah. Is there ever a point where something that you were taught or perhaps were brought up with is a problem, whether it be a pest, an insect, a disease pathogen, where it was it was you had to kill everything all the time, um, where perhaps there's a, a bit of give. Like you talked about Nick Mealybug. It's like it's something that you, if you saw it, you had to control it. You're saying you don't, it's you haven't died, the business hasn't toppled. Mm -hmm. Is there other things that you've discovered through your journey, gentlemen, where something that you always did, you later discovered, was just out of habit? Well, I mean, for us, insecticides are with a no-brainer. I mean, we haven't done it. We haven't used them for, I can't even remember, 15 years. You know, it was just, why are we doing, you know, why are we doing that? Um, what <clears throat> It became a bit prescriptive. And it was like, okay, well, we'll just drop, what happens if we drop them out? So we did, and then we just stopped using them. And then every now and again, we'll have a flare up of, you know, it'll be block specific or row specific of weevil or maybe some bud mite or those things. And then, you know, so you, you, the agros will come in and you'll say to them, oh, you've got bud mite, we need to put a heavy sulfur on now. So hang on, what does it affect yield? Uh, well, 
well, probably not, but they'll be a bit slow. And okay, so it's a visual thing, right? Let's have it. We just let it grow out and see what happens rather than bomb all the uh, beneficials with a heap of sulfur. And we might not have a, it might not be that big a problem. So it's just resetting your goals a little bit. Um, you know, wheat spray, it's the same. I mean, I'm far out back when we started. We, we used to use pre emergent, you know, in vineyards and we just had to have it absolutely bare, you know, and then. Looking back on it now, it was like, oh my God, what were we thinking? But that was that, that's just where you're at at the time, you know, and that was that was what we were supposed to do. That's fine. So we're now resetting it. Well, I'm quite sure someone's going to be sitting here in ten years' time, Jono. You might even be talking to them, going, "Can you believe that guy from McLaren Vale? Well, he was out of the, out of his tree with what he was doing there. That was all wrong." And that's okay because that means someone's pushed the needle forward to move the whole thing forward. I, I don't have a problem with that. So um, this is right for us right now, um, and we need to just find out the bits that we can keep taking out and stop. We can need to question questions. Why are we doing that? What? And the other one I ask quite a lot is what if, what if they took that away from you tomorrow? What if they took all of that stuff away from you tomorrow? How would you run your vineyard? And I, you know, I ask it of myself and I ask it of our staff, you know, so what's plan B. And that's a good question to start looking at opportunities outside of just doing the same thing all the time. Yeah, I think, I think you, for me, sulfur is probably the big one that I probably haven't stopped using yet. But I think in 10 years' time, I'm going to look back and go, Jesus, we used a lot of that. Um, because, you know, the, the challenge of powdery mildew is, is, for everyone in New Zealand, is great. And, you know, the, the advice that, you know, has been thrown around at times is just to spray more. But I kind of quit, you know, that to me is throwing red flags is to say, hey, look, if we just pound it with sulfur over and over, and there's some questions being raised about the, you know, the, you know, the wider effects of sulfur, not just on, on mildews, but on, you know, other, other insects and other, uh, other life in the vineyard. So I don't think it's, we're sort of, we're, I think we're in that moment where we're going to now start to try these new ideas and look at, you know, nutrition and resilience and how, you know, tweaking certain things nutritionally might actually be the way to get across this problem. And I, and I keep coming back to, um, like I, I used to compare it to human health as if you, you know, you're constantly battling something within your body and you, you're constantly killing things off. It's probably not the right approach. And we know that the diet that you live on has a massive impact on, how you how your body performs so you know junk food versus you know healthy nutritious you know balanced diet is you you're, you're far better off so i think that's something we don't it's it's a it's a topic of interest for me and something that we're going to try and work towards but it's yeah it's i think the the spray more mindset is not the right thing and i think you know, for a number of reasons, for, for not only the chemicals that have been put on, uh, but also the compaction and, and driving on vineyards, like that's um, that's the other aspect of it. Is that, as Richard mentioned, the energy cost of doing these tasks now is, you know, as diesel's whatever doubled in the last 12 months. It's, yeah, it's a serious, serious lift in cost. So, I think there's a better way and and I guess there's examples you know like listening to podcasts and stuff there's example where people are successful in this stuff um 
but it's making it work in our own places that's the you know getting out it's it's again it, i think it goes back it's us limiting the process like if we knew how to do it we'd do it and i'm sure nature has a way of doing it but we just don't you know within ourselves don't know it so we've just got to try and learn these things and and um yep. take a take a step back and you're dead right. I'm so glad you've mentioned sulfur, Nick, because that is that is the calendar thing for us as well, the same thing. But I think if we, we don't make a change, we don't ask the question. So, you know, we'll set a goal. So the goal I talked about, you know, for, for ground cover is not to do anything. Well, spraying will be not to use any, you know, I want to remove sulfur and copper out of my system. They're my, they're my two chemicals. Um, the threat challenge is thrown down to all of our guys to say we're going to come up with we've got to come up with a solution that's not these two because I don't want to use them. Whatever, 10 years from now, we're done. We're a, bio, we're a biological control system. And to your point, Nick, you know, to take that one step further, can we get this plant into such a high functioning mode that its defences are much stronger than what it's ever been and we actually don't have to do anything? And again, let's put the marker out there and see if we can get to it because if we don't do that, we won't stretch to there. We'll just keep doing what we're doing. So, um Sulfur and copper first, and then let's not do anything because it's all doing its own thing. And people will laugh and go, oh, that's not possible. Well, isn't it? There's a whole heap of stuff that's not possible until someone does it. So <laughs> let us do it. Yeah. Yeah, the Wright brothers got a bit of uh, a bit of laughter in the early days, didn't they? And now look. Yep. Yeah. Very well said. What role does photosynthesis play? You talked about in respects to carbon. And for those listeners that maybe are thinking... You know, the wine growers, the viticulturalists that are like perhaps not in the same conversation as what you guys are in, because we take it for granted, right? What, how does photosynthesis and maximizing that impact production? You happy for me to have a crack at that, Nick? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's free power. You know, look at it that way. You know, at the end of the day, so it's 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 harnessing the sun's energy to then power the whole soil system. And we do that by, by trend, you know, that we don't, well, we don't do any of it actually. So what we do is we give the space to have a heap of different plants covering the soil that capture the sun, turn it into a whole heap of lipids and proteins and exudates that then excite all the soil biology that we don't bugger up by putting too much chemistry and slicing pieces of metal through them um, every five minutes. And then funnily enough, they give that back to the plants that then grab the sun and they keep going and they do all that and leave a whole heap of carbon behind that helps our soil structure that then lets water get in, that lets oxygen get out, that lets and increases the productivity and we haven't done it do anything. So <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. You know, again, like, wow, thanks very much. That's pretty good. Now, the devil's in the detail, you know, what plants at where and how and all of those things. But the simple premise of let's just keep as many plants covering the soil for as long as possible, because that is a battery pack that we're powering up. You know, the sun powers everything else. If it can power a car, it can power a house. It's the same thought process to say I'm powering my soil up with the sun, with plants. You know, bare soil doesn't do it. It just reflects back. So we need plant cover. So that's that's the way I do it in my head, if that makes some sort of sense. It definitely does. And you mentioned some of the things that reduce that process and reduce that function, <laughs> pulling pieces of metal through the soil. I like that one. And um, 
and you know chemistry yep but what are some things that we can do to maximize that like if we're talking about lots of different plants i get that is there a way that those plants can be better at capturing sunlight and performing this process well the, i mean yeah, john the other thing we don't talk about perhaps enough of is that we do, it, to have a high functioning plant you need good nutrition so yeah that's a um that that's a given so we you know we need to work out how we do that in in a system to get the base levels good so we can let the whole thing take over because we just can't do it on a piece of concrete um it needs it need everything needs a bit of food to get going so so if you've got major you know constraints then you gotta you gotta get them sorted out and if that means that you have to do it you know with some with some synthetic just to get yourself to a level where the whole system then boots then i'm okay with that you know again i, I don't get too constrained in rules we try and do it with compost as much as we can because we think that works pretty well um but if you've got something that's really poor and you've got to get it to a level so that you can get the thing fired up then i'm, I'm gonna go for it you know again if the if the ends if the means justifies you know the end result and it's a one-off sort of thing if you've got to keep doing it then there's a problem there if it's something like if we do this once we can then walk away and the thing reboots then i'm, I'm okay with that and that's why cultivation you know timely cultivation is okay it's just the repetitive mm. stupid stuff that we do because we feel like we have to so again come back to the cover crop i want to if i've got 15 species i want to get and it's a permanent sward and it's expensive and i know if i do a nice seed bed it'll all come up well then do it once and walk away from it it's not going to be the end of the world but if you keep doing it every year just to put an annual crop in well that's just madness you know why would you do it so um get your nutrition right so the plants can do their thing is probably the key key element in that i want to wrap up with a, a different question and I'll, I'll word it like this if you could go back and speak to that person that's just coming out of uni or just coming out of high school whenever it was that you started your journey into agriculture or whether it be viticulture what would you say to that that person whether it be yourself or perhaps someone that's listening that's just starting their journey what would be something you'd say ask questions and and I, that critical thought thing I, for me has been a real like I didn't really have that early on and I didn't because I don't think I had the confidence in myself to ask those questions but like ask questions and then listen um and listen to what you it's a tricky but maybe hard to explain listen to what you see or like listen to what your your mind's telling you and, and what you see um and yeah I, th I think i've learned a lot of people rather than books and i think the world that we live in now with podcasts and i mean the internet did exist when i finished uni but not to the same extent of like social media and sharing and this knowledge interchange that we've now got with people is there's so much resource and it doesn't have to come from a textbook. Um, I think people, the, you know, the whole concept of this, the quorum sense movement of, of sharing between people is so powerful. And if you've got the freedom to think like that, I th you know, great things will happen. So yeah it's it's i guess it's good to have the base from uni like i still you know i still refer to notes and stuff but to have that thinking process and being 
being critical of what what we're doing and why we're doing it i think is, is not just because someone told you it's because someone told me and i tried it and it worked or they or i tried it and it didn't so i'm going to try something else but yeah perfect nick i mean i, I agree um why just always ask why you can you know, ask it respective you know respectfully but i think we should always just question what we're about to do before we do it or um you know find out you know other th other people's thoughts on why they do things um it, just a learning thing i mean I, I i went i did uni as well and i don't i don't it's not it's not the devil because it's a knowledge source so we went there we learned what we needed to know at the time and then we then we continue to learn so that's the other thing this this isn't the don't think you you're going to get to the end and go oh, thank god i've finished i've got this covered no 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 no. <laughs> keeps going it just keeps going but that's the fun of it you know so and and i'm with you guys i mean i i just think be prepared to collaborate and and be wrong you know if you if you wander around thinking you've got it all covered and you're it and a bit then then you're going to get cut off at the knees somewhere and and you're not the first person to be doing whatever you're doing no how, how smart you think you are because there'll be someone in some other corner of the world that is five years ahead of you and you've gone, oh, that's awkward. I thought I was, I thought I was really clever. We're all clever and we've yeah. got to share it. And because in, in, in all honest sense, if our ag doesn't clean up its act, um, then it, none of this will matter down the track. I mean, we've got some challenges coming up. We've sort of glossed over them, but um, clearly this planet's got, We've got to do a bit of work and we're part of the solution. Well, we can be. We might be, maybe we're not, but hey, let's if we don't try, then then we'll never know. So um, I just think, yeah, my younger self was probably in there. Um, keep keep learning, keep asking questions and and work with other people because you get if you give, I find if you give a fair bit, you get a lot back. And this is a great example. I mean, I've had a great trip to New Zealand. I feel a bit guilty because I probably I take I come come away with more information than maybe I've imparted. But um, you know what a great what a great experience. And isn't that always the way when you're out there sharing, it all comes back. Awesome. I, can't, I can't, couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Richard Leesk, all the way from Australia. Nick Paulin, enjoy your day today. I know both of you guys are about to jump on a bus to continue this awesome work you're doing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to staying in communication and riding along the journey with you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, Rich. This podcast was supported by MPI's Productive and Sustainable Land Use Extension Services Fund. The information, opinions and ideas presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. Any reliance on the content provided is done at your own risk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Quorum Sense podcast. Subscribe, share, and if you have any comments, questions, or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at quorumsense.org.nz or visit the quorumsense.org.nz website where you can also access past episodes. We hope you have an enjoyable week and that you've got something of real value from this podcast. Be sure to join us for the next exciting episode. We'll see you then.